help? Can I control energy costs for my business? How do I electrify my transport? Is cutting emissions hard? What is carbon negative? You'll get the answers to all these questions and more at the Big Zero Show on the 20th of June at the CBS Arena in Coventry. Register for your free ticket now. Big names. Big opportunities. BigZeroShow.com Hello. Happy Easter. I am Sumit Bose. You are listening to the Net Hero podcast. And uh, today's conversation is one that I suppose is very, very interesting. Is the future electric? Now, most of us in this country certainly think so. Uh, Electric vehicles is where the government wants us to go. We're looking at mass electrification. But there is another side to this argument, and it's a story about something called e-fuels. So these are electrically generated fuels, but for normal petrol cars, or as we call them, internal combustion engine ICE cars. And this week's podcast is all about whether we are thinking too much about the full electrification of transport and whether these e-fuels could really actually be the key for decarbonizing masses of transport around the world and also reducing the impact of the transition to electric vehicles. Have a listen. Fuel. It's one of those things we all talk about and it may not have escaped your attention if you've been reading Future Net Zero that there's been a bit of uh, backtracking, reconsidering in Europe about the idea of getting rid of all fossil fuel cars, new ones, by 2030. A lot of it's come from Germany. And the reason is there's a feeling that um, there's a space for something called e-fuels. Now, these aren't things that we probably know that much about in the UK because we're definitely going down the electrification path. But the idea of these fuels is that they have much less carbon than traditional fossil fuels and they're generated from cleaner sources. But they are basically a form of petroleum, gasoline, whatever you want to call it, that goes into a car. And could this be the answer for helping to decarbonize? Is it the right way to go or is electrification what it's about? Well. Lots of projects are going on looking at the sustainability credentials of this. And I'm delighted to say today, I'll be talking about one of those with Marcus Spieth, who is head of solution development uh, at uh, Siemens Energy and looking at a project called Harry Onu. I think I've got that right. Harry Haru Oni? Haru Oni, that's correct. Yes. (laughs) Which is in Chile. Is that right, Marcus? That's right. In the southern tip of Chile. So, so before before we talk about this project, which I can understand you're, you're using sort of wind power to generate, what exactly for our audience is an e-fuel? I gave a sort of poor answer to what it, what it is, but what, what are they? Yeah, the E stands for electricity-based fuels. That means the, the energy uh, which is in these fuels is coming from renewable electricity. That could be wind or it could be solar energy or hydro energy. So this electrical energy from renewables is converted into hydrogen in the first place and then uh, through electrolysis. And then the hydrogen is being converted into derivatives like uh, methanol, gasoline or kerosene. Yeah, just a quick question there. So uh, people have heard of, you know, wind wind power generating hydrogen. And there, there is a separate debate about kind of how energy efficient that is. But. When you look at uh, creating these e-fuels, my my basic thought was, and I I might be wrong here because I'm not an engineer or or a chemist, 
don't fuels have to involve some form of carbon? Don't they have to like, you know, a methane element or whatever? So how do you go from hydrogen to making a, a fuel that can run in a car for, for an ICE car? Exactly. We need to add CO2 to the hydrogen in order to make fuels. Ah. Because it's uh, actually it's the same substance, the gasoline or kerosene or methanol we're producing is very similar to the existing fossil fuels in its chemistry. Uh, so we need to add CO2. And it, it's important to, to uh, use sustainable CO2 to add it to this, to uh, have a carbon neutral cycle at the end. So first we capture the CO2 from the atmosphere and then we release it again at the end. So we have a carbon neutral cycle. So just to get this, you, you use, uh, say, a wind turbine to, to make the hydrogen. You capture the carbon nearby, uh, the carbon dioxide from the air, and then you combine it all together and you produce a fuel, which is effectively the same as a fossil fuel in terms of its uh, energy density and efficiency. Exactly. The The benefit of this uh, synthetic fuels is you can uh, be a bit more creative in the, uh, in, uh, the composition, so we can avoid... Uh, particle emissions and and other emissions which you typically have with uh, with fossil fuels, but uh, in terms of their norms and specification, it's it's fully capable to run in the existing car fleet. Why are you doing this? Yeah, the idea is uh, to to utilize as much as possible uh, the renewable energy offer around the world and especially in those regions where there is abundant resources, like in, in Magallanes region, um, it's energy which is not used because there is no grid. It's so too remote to connect yeah. it to the grid of Chile or Argentina. So the only way to harvest this precious energy is converted into a transportable medium. You've got this site. So explain to the listener, if they were going to see the site at uh, Haruhoni, what, what is it? Is it, because I, I think most people get the idea that a lot of Chile is a, de a, a desert. There's a lot of high winds, etc. So, is it like a a big sort of a plant with you know huge domes? What 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 would I see? If, or is it like loads of solar panels and some sort of I don't know some weird James Bond type machine <laughs> making this stuff? <laughs> so this region of the Magallanes is a very flat, scarce area where there's just some sheep farming. So what you see from far away is just the wind turbine. Right. So the rest of the plant is, is quite flat. So, of course, there's some, some structures, some small buildings. But uh, what you really is apparent is, is the wind turbine from far. So how many turbines, how much fuel are you producing at present? Presently, with this demonstration plant, we just have wind, one wind turbine installed. And we are producing 130,000 liters of e-gasoline plus around 400,000 liters of e-methanol per year. Right. So it's not a lot, but it's enough to test. Is that right? Exactly. What we wanted to do is test this value chain uh, in an isolated remote place, just having wind and water as a, as a support uh, produce e-fuels at the end. Why have you gone there? I mean, dare I say, the Germans have... And you are German, yes, aren't you, Marcus? 
Yes, I am. Yeah, you have you have a propensity in Europe. We, we like we like to say the Germans are very eco. So you like to build all these things, even though there's a, a lot of lignite being burnt. Let's not tell them about that. Yeah. But you know, why have you gone all the way to Chile to do this? Why couldn't you do this in 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 Germany, where 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 there's a bit of wind, or even you know, dare I say, a, an offshore site around the North Sea or something like that? Yeah, I would say there are two main reasons. Um, one of which is that, uh, as I said, the the energy which is is produced there is otherwise not used; it's unused. So it's abundant resources. Um, the uh, the offering of wind energy there, which we can harvest with this turbine, is is almost three times as high as if we would do it in Germany. So wow. The yield is far higher than we would do that in Germany, and it would be much more efficient to uh, to use a wind turbine in Germany to really electrify something and uh, convert it into electrical energy and keep it electrical rather than going the way through the e-fuels. But uh, this is not possible if you go remote, and uh, as we need to import uh, energy uh, on the long run anyway. Uh, we need means to uh, to get the renewable energy from uh, those regions where we have abundant resources to those regions where we are in need of consumption. I understand. Talk us through the kind of energy side of it, because this is always the criticism, and uh, you know you, you'll get this that people say it takes so much energy to create hydrogen from wind. You know this this green hydrogen that people talk about, and yeah. then. Every time you do it, there's a loss of energy and a loss of energy. So if you're starting from the basics, if we said, you know, 100% wind, how much of that 100% wind energy ends up roughly in a litre of your, your uh, e-fuel? 20%, 10%, more? So in the first step, you have to consider roughly 75% uh, losses in producing hydrogen from the wind. Right. Already. So you're down to 25% already, right. Yeah, 25% loss when you go from wind to hydrogen. Yeah. And then you have additionally roughly 25% loss going from hydrogen to, to the e-fuel. Right. Yeah. So overall, as a ballpark, yeah, it could be slightly yeah. lower, higher, around 50% efficiency in this conversion process. Right. But the point is, it doesn't matter that much because the, the, the wind energy is for free. Yes. Yeah, get it. otherwise it's, it's just wasted anyway. That's what you're exactly. saying. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's the point. And um, that's why the efficiency itself doesn't matter that much. Plus the fact that uh, with going there, with the same wind turbine, we harvest three times more energy. Uh, that changes the equation significantly. Yeah. Um, you've been at Siemens for a while. I think 2006 you joined. So... You've been there while it's sort of transitioning, as all these big energy companies are transitioning. Um, Siemens got a name in, in, in Europe for kind of wind turbines or whatever. What, why is it going into this world of these e-fuels? Because I think uh, Siemens Energy has a perfect portfolio to support this kind of uh, energy transition technologies, which is starting from the wind turbines with the acquisition of uh, Siemens Gamesa going through the electrification part and the grid part to connect the wind with the electrolyzers, with the electrolyzers we have in-house and the whole control systems we can offer as Siemens Energy. And we connect them to the downstream part yeah. with partners, 
partners who are able to uh, provide the technology for the conversion of hydrogen and CO2 in the derivatives like methanol, gasoline, or also in particular kerosene will play an important role in the future. What's your background? Are you, are you a, a chemist or what's your actual? I, I'm a process engineer from background. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time in, in Siemens Energy in, the, in our conventional business with uh, gas turbines, combined cycles. Yeah. Which also still play an important role in the transition uh, to stabilize our grids. And also on that side, we are developing into a hydrogen economy. So our turbines are 75% uh, hydrogen ready. So we can consume a mixture already of 75% of hydrogen. And the aim is in the coming years to develop 200% hydrogen readiness so that the grid stabilization, which today has to happen with uh, fossil gas, yeah. uh, in the future can be done with, um, with uh, hydrogen as well. Let's talk about two things which, which strike me as very interesting here. Um, I actually think this is a good idea, right, personally. But you know the score. There's a real, uh, whether it's a kind of mindset, zealousness, a lot of people just cannot stand the idea of using any kind of e-fuels, right? And they believe it's just pure electrification uh, and, and governments. There's lots of debate here. I don't know what it's like in Germany about hydrogen, right? So you have, uh, you know, some some commentators just do not believe in hydrogen, just don't believe in the energy efficiency and the calculations that say it's it's sustainable in terms of what it takes to produce. Um, what's your take on this whole e-fuel debate, obviously? I mean, I know you're working on it, but can you see why a lot of people just say this is not the way to go? We don't want to keep going with ICE cars, fossil fuel cars. Um, how would you answer that that sort of point of view? Yeah, I would go in the direction of not either or, but uh, we need both to, to have a really fast and deep type of decarbonization of the transport sector. So I fully believe in uh, electromobility in, in Europe. Yeah. We need to use our renewables to directly electrify um, the, the, the transport sector as much as possible. But we will never have enough renewables to uh, fully electrify our whole industry. So we need to import renewable, uh, renewable energy somehow. That is only possible with molecules. That's why we need hydrogen and e-fuels. Uh, on one hand, to transport energy, on the other hand, also to store energy, because renewables are fluctuating. Yeah. And uh, we need to have storage, uh, long-term storage of big amounts. And this is only possible with, with hydrogen and derivatives like methanol um, or at the end, uh, the end products like uh, kerosene and, and uh, gasoline. And in addition to that, there are areas around the world which are very difficult to electrify. Yes. Even in in yes. Europe, we don't have the full uh, infrastructure yet Correct. to charge yeah. all the cars. And uh, that's why we need this as a complementary source of renewable energy to decarbonize those areas in the world which don't have that access to uh, renewable energy and uh, such uh, grids like we have it in Europe yet. Um, I don't know if you know the science of this. I think you do probably. But if I took you, uh, your your e-fuel and I put 30 litres of it into my, my normal car, uh, it would drive all right. And then secondly, what would come out the exhaust? 
the the, uh, the exhaust would be very similar to uh, to a fossil fuel, except that these synthetic fuels have uh, far less particulate and uh, um, other emissions, which are typical for for fossil fuels. The CO2 is coming out as well right. from this fuel, but it is uh, CO2 which was previously captured from the atmosphere. So uh, by this cycle, you will have this uh, neutrality at the end of the day. Oh, okay. So that's what I was going to get to. It's not as if the car doesn't produce CO2, no. but you're saying that CO2 was already captured in the first place. Exactly. So initially, you have uh, you are carbon negative when you fill it in the tank. Got you. <laughs> and you are neutral once you have burnt it. So the idea would be, obviously... To create an e-fuel that didn't have the carbon, but that that's pretty <laughs> impossible, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. That that's uh, that's the holy grail. Impossible, uh, except for some areas where you may be able to uh, to uh, use hydrogen as a fuel. Yeah. Uh, for example, with fuel cells, which is also an area we are working at. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, we've seen a there's a couple, but they haven't really taken off in the UK. They're always like, but exactly. you know, I've I've driven a hydrogen car. I thought they were brilliant, but yeah, it's, and the infrastructure is not yet there, and the benefit of the e-fuels is existing infrastructure, existing distribution networks, existing fleet. Yeah. So it's a means to get very fast into the fleet and the sector. Is there any modification needed for a normal car to to drive using your e-fuels? No, nothing. So in a way, you know, this is a very interesting debate, isn't it? Because what you've got here is, on the one hand, the zero emission, you could say, of an, you know, the standard emissions from an electrical car, but you've got to build all the infrastructure, the batteries and all that. And then the other hand, you've got a car that will emit CO2, but you're saying it will be effectively neutral because it's already been taken, which doesn't need any infrastructure. I suppose this is a political debate, really, about where we go. Yeah, it, it is to a certain extent, but uh, what we say is we want to support all uh, potential ways to decarbonize the uh, industry sectors and in particular the transport sector. We want to enable that. Yeah. And we think that all ways are needed in parallel. We cannot just focus on one way because we need this diversity um, because the um, the uh, the balance of sustainable, reliable, and affordable energy affordable yeah being made available in different regions of the world yeah. is also a different equation in different regions of the world, and that's why we need to remain flexible um, and and use uh, all the uh, high uh, available uh, regions with wind energy and solar energy. So it's not only south southern part of Chile; we also go to the Middle East. Uh, to the US, uh, to to Africa, to all the the high renewable energy spots in the world, uh, to to produce hydrogen, uh, methanol, ammonia, in order to to uh, to bring energy to the demand centers in the world. In terms of this site, obviously it's a pilot. You said right at the beginning, yes. right? So it's a small one. Um, how will you know it's been successful? And then. Uh, the, the one thing I didn't quite understand, uh, obviously, you're trying to be as, you know, carbon neutral as you can on 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 the site, but there will be a, an element of 
well, I suppose you fill it with e-fuel, but transporting the, the e-fuel from the middle of the desert to where it's needed in the city or somewhere like that. So have you looked at all of that yourselves in this trial and seen, you know, what the carbon footprint would be of producing this and then transporting it to the sources, that are to, the, to the point where it's actually distributed? Yes, so there is, is an overall calculation being made of the sustainability of such a product. Yeah. Not, not only includes the transport, but also the the production of the asset, yeah, of the components. Yeah, you also use some CO2 uh, to produce the the steel we are using still. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course. and so on. So every all the energy going into the production of the facility is considered, and also the transport. And uh, we are still uh, still with considering all of these factors. We are in the range of ninety five percent carbon reduction footprint of such a fuel. Right. In the future, if you look at large scale projects, yes, intention is to transport these fuels with ships running on, on e-methanol. And they're already- <laughs> Running they're on e-methanol, transporting, e yeah, transporting <laughs> e-methanol. I like it. <laughs> um, I mean, I like this stuff. I think it's great. I, I get the feeling though, that there is still some reticence when you go and you know talk at conferences and you go around and you 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 know I don't know how big this e e fuels world is. What's the general consensus? Because the reason I wanted to put you on the podcast is I thought this was quite unusual. Um, is this still a fringe element of where we're going in decarbonisation? Do you think, or do you think there's more sort of credence to this nowadays? Slowly. I think there is a huge consensus on producing e-fuels uh, for shipping and aviation industry. I right. think there is no doubt. You know? And that's yeah. what we're doing. The, the base product uh, also in, in, in our own side is methanol. Methanol is a base product and we can use methanol for shipping directly. There are a lot of ships already running on methanol and we can convert it either into gasoline, which we are doing now uh, in this test plant, but also in kerosene, yeah, and we are actively engaged in projects where we intend to convert uh, methanol to, to kerosene, which is not that mature yet, like the gasoline pass, but it is something we, we aim to develop together with partners as well. And there we, uh, we, we receive a large consensus. I know the debate about uh, e-fuels in, uh, in, in the private car yep. uh, sector. But there, what we say there is um, we, we are not um, against electromobility. We, we support electromobility also with our electrification offerings, of course. Um, but we, we see the need of a complementary tool uh, to decarbonize the existing fleet. We have still 1.3 billion cars on the road. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And uh, we will yeah. not get rid of them in the next 10 years and 20 years. And uh, that's why also we need something to provide an option for decarbonization uh, of this existing fleet uh, with, with an easy um, supply chain and using the existing infrastructure. My last thought is let's, let's go in the future. Right? Let's be positive, Marcus. Let's go to 2040. Uh, do you think that the world will be using e-fuels much more for things like we talked about flying? Uh, you know, we've got a sustainable, sustainable, uh, sustainable aviation fuel industry growing in the UK, growing across Europe. Uh, I'm not too sure about other parts of the world, but I'm sure it's probably there. 
shipping, you know, trains. Can you see that? Or, or do you actually see a lot of cars in Brazil and India and China and places like that and developing nations being petrol cars, but running on these e-fuels? I think uh, it, it, it will be specific for, for the region. I think the focus in, in uh, Europe and probably also US will be um, decarbonizing the aviation sector. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, that's why with high speed, the development uh, for this uh, kerosene production uh, from e-fuels or for methanol or other uh, routes is, is going on. Um, there I see the, the biggest demand, but also in, uh, in shipping. A lot yeah. of the large shipping companies are already ordering uh, methanol driven vessels. So there is a demand created. And um, this this will also foster the development of, of e-methanol plants, uh, where we are already involved in a few around the world, which which I cannot name right now. Yeah, okay. So, so that's definitely strongly moving in, in the European um, arena. In other countries like, like India and uh, Brazil, you mentioned there, yeah, I, I can imagine that there will be a, a, a huge demand for, for these e-fuels also for, for the transport sector. Um, but uh, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm not able to judge on how much percentage this will take. Yeah, it's, it's, um, a, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? Because it is indeed. You, yeah. you, we always have to look at you know, the idea that, you know, I've got an EV myself, but the idea that they're all brilliant and clean, there's a lot of embedded carbon in the nickel and the cadmium and the batteries and all of that. And, you know, some people say the debate of how long is a car on the road, you know, over its lifespan. It's it's a very interesting one of whether we, where we go down the thing. Um, yeah, last question. Yeah, sorry. Last question. Um, this is all great. You've done the test. When will you know whether this will be ready to scale and, and do you have plans to scale it up yet? So we are ready to scale. I think, uh... This uh, exercise going through the development of this project and now uh, doing the optimization of, of the facility, running tests and so on, uh, gave us uh, very good insights in how we have to uh, design and, and operate such plants. So the scaling is already happening. We, we are involved in two actual projects in northern part of Europe where e-methanol will be produced, uh, one in Denmark with solar energy, uh, one in Sweden with wind energy, both in the size of 50 times at least uh, what you see in, in Chile. So uh, 50 megawatt and 70 megawatt projects producing e-methanol already uh, in execution, so started. Um, and there are already plans for projects in the size of gigawatt uh, to produce uh, e-methanol, e-gasoline and, and e-kerosene on the horizon. So, uh, we are ready to scale and we are already in the development phases of this large scale project. So it's, it's okay. happening. You, you, you better, bet your, better ask your boss for some investment then. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's a good Marcus, that, that has been really, really great. Thank you so much for explaining the world of e-fuels to me. I think the audience will have got a lot out of this because it's one of those things I wanted to understand and uh, you've explained it to an idiot like me. So well done. That's very good. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thanks to Marcus there. And I'd like to hear your views on that. 
do you think e-fuels are a way we should be going? So email me, uh, sumit.bose at futurenetzero.com or use the net hero at futurenetzero.com uh, podcast. And if you have a story or someone you know is doing something interesting in the space, then please let me know. Thanks for downloading. The downloads keep racking up and we've got plenty more in store for you over the next few months. And of course, June the 20th. Oh, I sound like a broken record if you listen regularly, but it's really important. We have got a great show for you on the 20th of June at the Coventry Building Society Arena, the Big Zero Show. Get your tickets now. They are being snapped up like hotcakes the eco hotcakes even. So get yourself down there. You'll be able to take part in a tech showcase. You'll learn about what we're doing in terms of carbon footprinting. Cybercrime. How can cybercrime be a risk if you go net zero? You'll find out on the day. What are we doing about fleet electrification? How will you find the right way to save energy costs in this difficult time by doing things that are net zero for your business. All the answers on June the 20th. Get your free ticket now. Go to thebigzeroshow.com or go to futurenetzero.com and you'll be able to get it that way. We've got some exciting news we'll be announcing at the show. So you've got to be there for that. We've got some really good stuff that we're planning to reveal. All of it is there for you. And particularly if you're a business-based or an organization based in the West Midlands, don't miss out because it's on your doorstep. Thanks to Rob for production. Hope you had a great Easter and uh, I'll catch you soon. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business. Better planet.